What's up everyone? This is Alman Nusrat. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. You are listening to Faith in Fine Print. And this is Nihal Khan, everyone. Assalamu alaikum. We got, uh, we've had a heavy day today. We recorded uh, one episode earlier and now we are here at the Islamic Center of New York University with the one and only Imam Suhaib Webb. Imam Suhaib, for those of you that don't know, he is an American Muslim scholar, he is an activist, he's someone that teaches at NYU. To give you all a really brief background of him, he's someone that everyone potentially in the Muslim community knows of in the United States and abroad, specifically um, in regards to an article that was published recently about his use of digital media and social media to connect with people. Um, and more interestingly, you know, Imam Suhaib has his undergrad in uh, education from Oklahoma, and then he spent time at Al-Azhar and graduated from there, and then he's been here. He's been around the country. He spent time in the Bay Area. He was uh, in Boston for a bit. He was in D.C. for a bit, and now we're blessed to have him here in the Northeast uh, at the uh, in New York. So we're here with Imam Suhaib, going to be talking to him. Imam Suhaib, welcome. Assalamu alaikum. Hold on a minute. Can you play that, that theme music again? Just real quick. Here we go. Okay. Oh, here we guys, go. Here guys. we go. Real, come on. That is so my era. I thought you were playing like- We did that for you. Some Key Sweat, some guy. <laughs> it's like- <laughs> Yeah, today we're here with Suhaib Webb. Welcome to the Minbar. Yeah. Now we're starting. I'm yes. the host. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm story. just saying like, wow, wow. Pull out the dude putty, bro. So you know, Alman, he's a he's a yeah. singer and songwriter, so mm -hmm. he's, he's he knows how to mix the beats, you know? I mean, I can tell. That's like that's uh, that's totally royalty free. Pre yeah, right you weren't supposed to say that, Alman. I have to. I have to give credit to the guy. But um, Man. yeah, but that's it's that's the type of music I like. I like uh, I like that stuff. But, yeah. um, Ooh, and I wanted something that gives you kind of that vibe. Yeah. Of having your chai, your dude, butty. Yeah. yeah. But let's get into it, Mopsa Hey. Um, like I said, we don't try to read bios here. We want to hear from you. What are you doing? What are you up to? What's your vision? And uh, how did you get to where you're at right now? I'm a daddy man, so I'm busy, you know, changing diapers. Just had a baby girl. Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Um, so that's first and foremost my family. Uh, my father's 80. My brother's, oh, you wow. know, getting older. So I think that's, you know, my wife, of course, first and foremost, my queen, man. Uh, and then, you know, secondary issues would be I have an online school that I run. Mm -hmm. uh, we started the beta last March. We have over 700 people subscribe right now. And then moving to an app based format after Ramadan. That's also going to start to produce shows. Yeah. So like, uh, it'll be kind of like a Netflix for Muslims in a certain way, but not corny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not corny. And then of course, I work here at NYU. I teach a class on Islamic ethics, spirituality and ethics at Wagner, as well as Islamic law and ethics with Sheikh Fayaz Jaffer. And then I work here at the IC. Nice, nice. At NYU. Yeah, and at the IC, I've noticed, um, especially seeing it grow from when Khalid first started here, like post 9-11, right, and seeing what he's built into like a proper institution, which is benefiting all of New York City. Mm. And it's really interesting, right? They brought you on as a resident scholar. Khalid's working as the executive director. You know, they brought on uh, Sheikh Faiz Jaffer, who's serving the Shia community and beyond. We have a, uh, a black female scholar in residence, Sheikha Aisha Prime. And um, I was talking to Imam Shair, who was outside, right? And he right. was saying that like, 50 years ago, he goes, I wouldn't have even have imagined this. The thought would not have entered my mind. Mm. Um, and being in this position that you're in right now, um, it, I'm sure it's quite exciting to be where you're at and doing what you're doing. Um, but I, I guess this model, how has it been functioning for the community and how can it potentially be applied for the future in like bringing communities together? I mean, I think first and foremost, you have to raise the capital to do that. To raise the capital, you have to get people to believe in your vision. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, with Khaled, what you had was a vision 
um, and then growth, critical mass people. I, I think any vision has to be subjected to like kind of a, a public sanctioning and refinement. Um, and then the needs of that critical mass become kind of a natural outcome of that process. Yeah. And then you have to start finding different components to address those needs. Um, and then you have the value prop. So you have like a very generous, we have a very, very generous community here. Mm -hmm. Last year they raised in Ramadan almost a million dollars for oh, wow. a domestic violence shelter in New York City. Oh, not even for the IC for domestic yeah, violence that was, shelter. We have two fundraisers. So that was a separate fundraiser. Wow. Um, so you have, you know, people that are very generous and believe in a vision. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing that makes the IC unique, and I don't want to, you know, speak on behalf of, of people is like, we really try to do what people need. Like we try to make an assessment of the actual needs of people. Instead of saying people come to serve the institution, the ethos is that the institution is here to serve first God, right? Mm -hmm. And then serve people. Right. Mm. That's awesome. Um, and for me, this doesn't, I didn't really have to change. You yeah. know, like this is what I've always done. So whether it was like- Change in what days, way? Like I, so people like, oh, it's a new place. It may be a new place, but it's the same operation yeah. for me, like just serving the community. Um, whether it was like SuhaibWeb.com back in the days, yeah. the Bay Area, Boston, we opened up mental health clinic for Muslims, DC with Center DC, which is doing great. Like my, I didn't have to change a lot here to fall into place. Yeah. That's largely Khaled's like really cool, mashallah. Yeah. But like the, the, the same ethos is there, like yeah. serve people. Are there any particular issues that are specific to this place that you found or things that come up here that you may not have engaged with before or things that are more frequent here? I think one thing that's different is our demographic is different than any other nonprofit in America for the most part. Most mm -hmm. nonprofits are top down in the sense of age, but we're like, we're yeah. dealing with younger people. Yeah, we're yeah. dealing with millennials, Generation Z and Generation Xers. And that makes up the bulk. So Generation Z makes up and millennials make up the bulk right. of who makes decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's very different, right? I'm used to being kind of around maybe people that invoke, even I'm 47, mm -hmm. but still will invoke like their age to kind of like create leverage in the conversation. Right. Whereas here, I have to be careful that I'm not the one, right, right. right invoking age and experience to leverage a conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's very unique. The mm -hmm. second thing is people don't realize like we're, we are held, we're not a masjid. So people come here, they get angry when they see like non-Muslims doing yoga on the fourth floor, like, well, yeah. this is I, this is part of the NYU system. Right. Mm -hmm. The third thing is to see how a partnership can really be healthy. So we have a full, fully functioning halal dining hall at NYU. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. And I think the second will open up next year. So like seeing, you know, I think sometimes when you're in nonprofit spaces, me, you become very myopic in how you see things. So mm -hmm. partnerships aren't really seen. They're seen as threats. Right. Whereas I've been able to see through great partners at NYU, like how we're able to really do transformative work. Like now we're exploring even taking our um, our walk and putting it into the investment vehicle through NYU, which okay. is like going to greatly enhance like how we maintain the sustainability, not our walk, but our trusts that mm -hmm. we have from people, our investment trusts into the NYU investment vehicle. So it's like really cool to see like, in especially the age of Trump and, yeah. and identity right. politics and everything like, the potential of profound, profound relationships. And I think the last is like, I hate to say this man, but like as an Imam or I, I'm not Imam anymore, but like 
as someone who studied overseas, the, the respect you get in the academy, man, is unparalleled. Mm-hmm. To I would say, you even, mean as somebody who studied overseas? Yeah, or someone that has a background in Sharia, half the Quran. I went to Madrasa for ten years. Like th- that, like I'm sorry to say, like you're not treated with the same kind of like respect that you get in the academy. My experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Actually, when I was, you know. I, I also studied in Madrasa Ulama, right? I went, I studied in Madrasa in the United States, and then went overseas. And you know, when you're over there, you you don't know what you're coming back to. Like during that time period, you're like I don't know what the heck I'm going to do when I come back. Mm. And then when I, I remember finished, when you came back. I remember that. Yeah, I was like I had no idea what I'm going to do, right? And I enrolled at the Harvard Seminary, and in between, I spent a year at the Harvard Div School, and I'm just like, wow, it's like you're going to this major Ivy League institution, but because of the fact that you grinded it out overseas. I, I personally didn't understand, you know, why people saw that as big of a light. Even in the masajid, the masajid, they don't respect you in the way that you'll be respected in academia and like an Islamic studies department, which is really interesting to, to, mm-hmm. to get you mentioned that. Yeah. And, and, and then the, the academic utility you get, like, like here, I mean, just the library, man. Yeah. Just the Arabic books. You can go on, on this NYU system and it will actually read Arabic books to you on the internet, man. Wow. That's amazing. In Arabic. Like, yeah. In Arabic. Like, it's like. You know, it's like funny sounding. It's like it's like Fakad Kala Imam Ghazali Haula Al Muttaqun. You know, but it's like it's there, right? You can use that. And That's then awesome. and, and I think that is the Mu'assasat uh Diniya. Tonight you, you were at my halakha and there was an issue of women leadership. And one mm-hmm. of the things I wanted to respond was like Creating woman leadership is an important component, but then let's talk about women's salaries. Yeah. Like men aren't even paid, right? So you can imagine, so like strategically, you know, just unfortunately, man, the respect and utility that you may find within nonprofits, not the Muslim community. Muslim yeah. community is a little different. Uh, can be a challenge, man. Yeah. Um, let's get into this. I know right now you're doing a lot of work with Swiss, with the, which is the Suhaib Web Institute of Islamic Sciences. And I think... Um, uh, you've been uh, producing material as well, so you produced the Essentials of Islamic Faith. Faith, it's, you know, you produced that book, um, and it's been used by adults and young people and old people alike. Um, and another aspect you mentioned, like today, that there was like your 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 coursework is making it all th- over the world now in a way which um, may have been inaccessible several years ago. So, um, and then that also ties into. I remember like that article came up. It was kind of like funny the way they put you they're like the snapchat imam right right yeah. it's like um but the main point that they're that they're making is that you're trying to reach out to people through these social media means and whatnot and digital means and i think me and alman were talking about this um you know alman is a singer songwriter he's in the arts right and myself you know giving khutbahs this and that we were both like man i hate seeing my face on a screen and even engaging with people through the internet because it can be a very volatile experience number one and, mm. and, and other times it can be a very sometimes draining experience so for you, how do you kind of get into it where you are able to use those means to an advantage, number one? Number two, how do you push back against the digital trolls, the people that, you know, are out to, you know, harm you and the work that you do? And by you, I mean just like general people that are out there who um, want to get involved in a digital space but find it difficult because of that. Or even number three, which comes into the issue, like intentions, right? People are like, I'm struggling with my intentions. How do I do this in the right way so I don't come off as showing off? Um, you know, so I guess all those things compounded. How should people be approaching the digital age to learn their faith? Cautiously. Yeah. Uh, and, and and critically as well as constructively. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I So it's funny when people talk about Snapchat Imam, experience right i i didn't do that to teach i did that to learn interesting right so i did that to better engage and understand younger audiences 
I mean, I would do TikTok if I could. I just don't have time. I don't understand it, man. It's like a gin. You know, it's actually banned uh, for TSA agents. We found out today. Wow. Because uh, it's like it's a it's a what was it the ideal? It's, it's owned by China. Yeah, that's so another reason right. why I ain't about that life. <laughs> but but um, I, I I did that largely at the bequest of some of my students, so I could just like begin. I had no idea it was gonna go viral, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and that's one reason I shut it down. I was like, it was too, I don't want this many people. Oh, you're like, not on Snapchat anymore? No, I don't want that many people in my life, man. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I got what I needed, and that was the questions for that first book. Yeah. Um, and I'm still on Instagram from time to time. I, I do Q&A. Um, but I, I worry also that these things are created, curating our behavior in ways that are unhealthy. Yeah. Where, you know, when you and I, and you and I, are, even though we're, I'm older than you, we do come from kind of a generation of people who set out to do religious studies very much for a self-interest. Right. Mm -hmm. Not a financial self-interest. Right. Maybe it was me. I don't want to be dumb white convert guy. I don't know what it meant to you. Oh, for me, I just, I, I, I didn't ever think I'd go into this full time. I was just like, I want to learn my faith. And then, you know, maybe I'll get a job in IT or I'll get a job becoming a right. therapist or something. Yeah. Like Abdul Sattar, a friend in Chicago, right? Yeah. Like people... So, but now I have people reach out to me and they're like, I want to be the mom. How do I go viral? Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, like that's, that, a, that's like, like, I want to be Jay-Z. How do I go viral? So it's un yeah. antithetical to like the whole process of it being sincere. Right. Seeking religion, a religious knowledge. So I, I worry that the framing of how religion is looked at is a problem. Yeah. The second thing is I feel that many of these sources are untethered from God, God is never mentioned, and really about heathenry and amplifying the beauty of the dunya. Yeah. And for us, that's a problem. The temporary life is something that should be debased, not to the point that we neglect it, but we should not be amplifying this place as a place of ultimate comfort. Right, right. And that's why we have people now, they say people are developing psychosis and mental health issues because they see like a keto ad on Instagram where mm -hmm. they see all these keto tags. Right. And it's like, I was 500 pounds last year and now I'm, you know, 8.0% body fat. That's like 30% of the people or uh, sorry, 3% of the people. So I, I worry that is very unhealthy. Uh, the last thing, and of course, and, 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 and I think this has a good and a bad to it is that there's no way to regulate the quality of a teacher. And I yeah. say that in three areas ethically. So I've had people reach out to me and say, that people are using their Instagram accounts to like for inappropriate stuff or right. Facebook. Uh -huh. I had somebody actually create an account using my name that was like hitting up young women. Oh man. I had a man come to my office in Boston with his wife. He wanted to beat me up. And I was like, bro, that isn't, that's not me. Look for the blue dot, man. Wow. That's crazy. So the, uh, that's an, an ethical issue. Uh, the third thing is raising money. Right, using it. I recently had someone ask me if I had an orphanage in Nigeria. I was like, <laughs> I would go through like Islamic relief or helping hand. Or, and the third is it's like I got an email from you in my spam folder from the prince that was there. And the third thing is people confusing education for entertainment. Right. So, yeah. so, Fusi Tube is not religion, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Um, Adam Saleh is not where you take religion. But then there's also people who may utilize Islamic language, and I understand why. But may be giving information which is wrong. Yeah, that was definitely a trend. I mean, a couple of years ago, I don't know if it still exists where people would YouTubers that are not scholars or teachers in any shape or form would have these videos where they would have their two cents at the end of it, kind of giving their fatwa or whatever, like, you know, their take on it and passing judgment on something that they're not qualified to give. And then you have a whole generation of young people who are kind of taking from this and be like, oh, I see your point. I see how you arrived at a conclusion and kind of then engaging with the religion with these kind of newfound rules or uh, newly uh, implemented rules or whatever. And uh, this goes back to something that you and I were talking about, Nihal, on, on the episode with, I think, with uh, Susie Ismail, where 
with social media, one of the things that I see is that uh, it is a part of this culture of our uh, experience where everything's instantaneous, where you can fill a void like that or mm-hmm. attempt to fill a void. So, you know, there's pornography, there's whatever you can click on, but then there's also these like spiritual highs that you can kind of click on something and then experience something real quick, like a snippet from a lecture with the ahs and the oohs in the background. And then uh, you feel something, but it's like, it, it, it's definitely not that experience that you guys have gone and you've gone somewhere and studied and you, you made it a part of something bigger as opposed to just kind of, I don't know, like what's your take on that in terms of people kind of accessing things and allowing it to make them feel something for a short amount of time. Well, there's duality here, right? Also, okay. we have a problem with people who go overseas and forget mm-hmm. how to be a Snapchat imam. Right, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Quran says to the Sahaba, you used to be like these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also have a, we have a religious educated community which is unta- uh, uh, untethered mm-hmm. from critical cultural language and thought. Right. So they're, then they get frustrated and angry Mm-hmm. These people don't understand me. Right, right. On the other side, we have people who may, where ignorance has permeated to the point where now ignorance is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. So Abu Ala al Mu'arri says, mm-hmm. He said, You know, when I saw that ignorance had permeated, I learned until people called me stupid. Mm-hmm. Because the balance was ignorance. Right. 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 So they thought I was ignorant, but it was, I knew what I was doing. Right. right. The Prophet, when he first comes out, people, He's agitating them in ways where they've never heard. Right. So uh, there is a concern that between the educated uh, religious person who is culturally ignorant and the culturally educated Muslim mm-hmm. who's religiously ignorant, mm-hmm. there is someone in the middle who is perhaps more culturally educated right. and not religiously literate, but a little bit more than those they serve. And mm-hmm. they, they say things which are or teach them things which are incorrect. Right. It has to be, you don't have to, you have to yeah. know the people, right? You have to yeah. engage the people. I think it always goes back to this conversation about balance, right? There's always got to be that middle road that understands the context and understands the faith and like, right. you know, understands the whole way to communicate um, because that communication is key. And it's going back to, you know, the other episode we did earlier um, with Sister Rueda, yeah. where I was talking about the music that I do and how it's kind of like this middle path because I'll sing a song uh, that's like a cosida or something, but then I'll cover Dido white flag and people hear and see my engagement with music and what I produce and what I put out and they get confused because they want to either categorize it here or categorize it there but the reality is that I'm kind of living this experience where I'm doing things that just make sense to me that are kind of in this middle path communicating with both audiences and in a way that hopefully works and sometimes it gets lost in translation yeah but I think the more we have individuals like yourself and and people who are using these tools to communicate effectively uh, with cultural literacy, literacy, and also, um, you know, I guess religious literacy, um, I think that's beneficial. It once reinforces that uh, necessity of a middle path of communication. Yeah. And, and, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Was... And, and to your point, like, how do you avoid the trolls? Just avoid them, right? Like right. people who don't, like people who may criticize something that is open for criticism within their realm of concern, right? That's fine. But someone who like starts to personally criticize me or engage me in ways that I know they don't know me. Like, you don't know me like that. I could care less what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you don't know me. Right. Um, so I think it's very important that you don't read the comments, you don't look at the likes, um, and then you also learn that you have to have a group of people around you who can bring constructive criticism into your life. So mm-hmm. that void is not there. 
And then, you know, there are unfortunately a lot of wounded people online. And there are also a lot of people online that are bots or paid to be deliberate Russian haters. Bots. Or, or whatever, right? Yeah. It, even sponsored by UAE, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of money. Um, the Zionists, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Islamophobes. They, we need to understand they actually pay people. Uh, we see now coming out of the Gulf countries, like they're creating influencers um, who are apolitical, uh, magnifying the dunya. Mm -hmm. um, living a glitzy lifestyle, but have nothing to say about climate change, have nothing to say about human rights, have nothing to say about things that are very important to people. We need to be aware of this. Um, yeah. and, 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 and so I, I've learned to realize like people online that don't know you, just they don't know you, don't need to waste your time with it. Yeah, and I think it also goes back to the idea of hadith, like criticism, like jarh ta'deel and all that stuff, takhreel hadith. Like if someone was majhul, if they're unknown, it actually affects the grading of what the hadith is. Mm -hmm. right? If you don't know who the person like narrating is, it will affect the authenticity of that hadith. So it's, it's interesting how that is encompassed within the Islamic sciences, but how within our social ethical paradigm of living, people are like, oh, someone has said something on the internet, I must respond. Right. And it's just like, I, I sometimes wonder like how, how that gets lost. And it's like mm -hmm. what Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah said, right? He's like, I argued with someone who was um, ignorant and I lost, but I argued with someone who was intelligent and I won. Mm -hmm. Like that was like the interesting point to, to understand. And what's powerful is the majhul al-hal, the unknown narrator, we still affirm that their character is good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those people that may be saying things about us or coming after us, I don't necessarily have to judge their character. Right. I can just be aware of I don't agree with what, you know, they're the way they're coming at me, there's no way that they know that. And sometimes also people are very passionate, right? right? And, and, and we need to love them and, and, and comfort them and say, it's okay, man, like, you don't agree with me, but life goes on. Yeah. So let's, let's switch gears before we take our break. Um, uh, you know, the one thing which is really interesting is um, how, and you had mentioned this today during the halaqa, which was, um, you know, on one end you're dealing with like, um, you know, Islamophobes saying, oh, who is this imam coming out of Oklahoma and talking about Islam and trying to establish Sharia? And, but then on the other end, you're getting published in ISIS magazine saying that you're a disbeliever and, you know, wajib al-qatal and all that stuff. Um, number one is that, um, and then on top of that, you have like, you know, certain segments of the Muslim community who may disagree with you. And like, I think everyone's like, okay, if you want to disagree, disagree, right? Like, write an article refuting what I've said, but as opposed to, like, calling someone out character assassination. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, I guess, the point of, I guess, vulnerability. Like, how have you had to deal with that? Um, you know, and, and I know, like, it's not easy, right? It's not easy sitting there um, having, you know, your name and your personality thrown around by, like, every single side of the equation. Like, how, mm -hmm. how do you personally have to, like... I think it's hard on your kids, right? I think it's hard on family. I mean, we... we as soon as we went into religious vocation, we knew that we were inviting uh, both extremes. Yeah, you know, um, so that that that's something that I think I had expected. Allah says, "Prophet had enemies." Wow. Yeah, I never thought every, every about prophet like that. had enemy, um, and they had Ansar. Right, they had helpers. So for me, I, I think the bigger challenge is that you know. When people say things that I said that I never said and never reached out to me, um, you know, like homosexuality or whatever, right? You know, never contacted me to find out what I actually said. That causes me to kind of like lose respect for that person in the sense of like, I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. Because you don't know the Jedi code, right? The Jedi code is, unless it's something said publicly where you're harming people, you know, you should write the article and send it to me. Yeah. 
not write the article and put me on blast. And this is where I believe, as I said in, 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 in my talk earlier tonight, we need to move beyond political literacy to political theology. Mm. We need to re re remove you know, the language of contemporary activism is great, but when I ask people, what is the theo component of your activism? There's nothing there. Yeah. So there's no religious language. The first thing a lot to Adam is what? Language. Yeah. Um, so I lose respect for people when they do stuff like that or when I find out that it says something about behind my back to people and they're smiling in my face. I have nothing to do with them. I'm old school. Bye. It's done. Peace out. Mm. Uh, if they want to have a conversation, I'm willing to revisit that conversation. But that doesn't mean that, like what Tupac said, I'll feed you, but you can't eat in my house mm. <laughs> um, or at my table. And that's just yeah. how it is. And the reason I'm like that is I don't have time for it. Like I don't have time to trust people who aren't trustworthy. So I, I tend not to let that bother me in that way. I think the bigger thing is when you have a family and you have children, you know, who are teenagers and they see these kind of things, that that's where it's an issue. Yeah. The third thing is like, I've had my boys since conversion. Like we were all ex bloods. We became Muslim together and we're tight. Yeah. And I, I keep my circle very small. Like I don't have a tight circle. I don't have a big circle. I have a very tight circle from the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I just, that's how I am. It doesn't really bother me. I don't see that as something that's like going to impact me or, you know, move me in a certain way. Um, everything has zakah, right? So the zakah being in these places. And I also don't expect me to be right all the time. Like right. I appreciate the fact like tonight in our class in solo I was like, oh, I'm happy to hear dissent. You know, one of the things I worry about is that we, and I like this about what Yasha Qadi has been doing and Sheikh Omar Suleiman, I think Sheikh Aisha Prime does a good job of this, is we can also model differing, right? We don't have to be like, oh, I don't agree with you. Now you're irredeemable. Yeah. That's not Islamic theology. Just cancel out. Yeah, a cancel culture. Of course, crimes, things like that. Right. I get it. We're talking about you and I just don't see eye to eye, man. Yeah. Right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. And, and I think also, right, me and Alman were talking about this, and I've been, uh, ever since actually I moved to Connecticut and got involved in the community, like, I'm just getting used to, like, people just not liking me for the sake of not liking because they didn't like something I said or something like that. Yeah. Or if, like, somebody's, you know, talking bad about me about things I never said or did. And um, the thing which keeps coming to mind, Imam Suhaib, for me, right, and like you said, I am much younger, but I feel like this is forcing me to grow up a little bit quicker, which is the, the, you know, the hadith and the incident of Wahshi, right? Like Wahshi killed the uncle of the Prophet mm -hmm. right? And afterwards he took his shahada and the Prophet told him to reiterate everything that he did. And at that moment, the Prophet told him, look, you're a Muslim, you know, your, your life and property and everything are safe from this day, but don't you dare ever step foot in front of my face ever again. Like that's, that's the price of the forgiveness at that point, because even Prophet is human. And mm -hmm. And I think this sort of comes down to no one wants to be around someone who doesn't humanize them, right? Like right. if you if you're gonna consider someone's words that you disagree with to be a means to attack them, and this is for everyone listening, right? You may disagree with Alman doing music. You may yeah. disagree with Imam Suhaib's like stances on stuff. You may disagree with the way I conduct a class. Like, well, I, I welcome that disagreement, but let's talk about it in a civil manner. Right. If we don't know how to disagree, right, it's and we only know how to agree, then then this is a world of yes men. And, and, and to realize that we're all going to make mistakes in this process, right? That's the other thing is like, I won't be perfect in my acceptance of your dissent as you probably won't be perfect in sharing your dissent with me. Yeah. I should expect that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I, I honestly, so, you know, I'll block you, man. And I have no 
I don't care. If someone is attacking someone in the comments, if someone is saying something about me which is disrespectful, like rude disrespectful, bye. Yeah. And I don't care because you get kicked out of the sandbox, bro. That's how life is. Yeah. yeah. And then when people, I don't understand why I was why I was kicked out because you do not act right. But you're any mom. So, so you here's let me beat, and this you, is, beat you up a little bit. This is what I wanted to reflect on what you just said. People probably don't like you, not because of you, but because they live vicariously through who they think you are. Right. And they may have had bad experiences with other imams and sheikhs and whatever. I get that. But that doesn't now allow you to, right, to project that on you. Right. And that's one of the challenges I've had as a convert is people trying to find who I am. And when I'm not who they think I am, then they get upset. And I'm like, well, but you created that mold, man. I didn't make that mold, bro. Right. There's this, uh, it reminds me of this time that I went to the mosque. And, uh, you know, I'm used to people coming up to me and, and learning about the work that I do. Uh, what's it's, it's the mantle, which is the third space that we created in Connecticut. Um, and, you know, we do things there that people may disagree with. So I'm used to, and then I do music and stuff. So I'm used to people coming up and saying things. So there was this one guy, uh, it was basically an uncle who came up to me and um, he, he was wanted to say something. I was like, okay, here we go. But actually what he said was, um, I thought it was quite profound. And he was like, you know what? I'm really happy with the work that you're doing. And he said, just remember that uh, the people who put in the effort, you know, for every person who's putting in the effort, there's a lot of people who are not. Yeah. And you also have to recognize that when you do that work, there will be people who disagree with you, who will come after you, try to say things about you, your organization, the work you do. Just remember that the prophet of God, Muhammad, peace be upon him, was stoned when he went to Taif. And he said, and those people try to kill him. And that's the beloved of God. And if he went through that, then consider yourself lucky when you get some of these people who are just like saying things and trying to do their thing. But really like our intentions and the work that we're trying to do um it goes beyond that and then we take the, we we do what we have to to keep that mission going right whether yeah. it means you, you know you have the sound box you know you got to move away from certain people you have to keep it going and just remember that those people uh will always be there um yeah. who are gonna you know and, and what's powerful up. here is 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 the simplicity of sometimes the analysis mm -hmm. is that it's a generational issue mm -hmm. yeah but you being younger than me means that you have more energy to be wiser than me. Interesting. Right, why don't I look at it that way? You being younger than me, Nihal means you have more energy to be wiser than me. Mm -hmm. Me being older than you means I might have more experiences to, to offer cadence to that wisdom. So I've seen uncles and aunties who are like the most religiously, you know, I hate the word progressive because that mm -hmm. implies, people tell me I'm progressive, I'm like, where are you going? Like, <laughs> right. Where are you headed? Yeah, but but more, I like to say more religiously committed. Yeah. Um, older people sometimes are more down than young people. Young people are still very sometimes insecure, very irrationally conservative, uh, don't have the experiences in life, right? So to frame these things also as like simple generational issues would be a grave mistake and would not allow us to address some of the challenges strategically because these are old people, right? right? These old people got a lot to teach us, man. Mm -hmm. We just have to engage them correctly. Yeah, and give absolutely. them a voice. Like yeah. imagine as the one sister told me at Center DC when I was in, in DC, we started it. And and we learned from what she said. She said, I don't feel like I'm welcome here because I'm like over forty five. 
Yeah, I think right. ageism in the Muslim community is a problem. Like, oh, man. you know, people b- before Trump, right? Anti-immigrant like sentiment in the Muslim community, like, and I think we all fall into it. Like, you know, making fun of uncles and aunties because their accents. But suddenly, when Trump is going after the immigrants, like, there is this understanding, like, oh man, you know, like we've been very anti-immigrant even in the community. Right. You know, and and it's been very like. Um, you know, an underpinning sense of like, oh, American exceptionalism. Like if you speak without an accent, then you have something to offer. But if you speak with an accent, then you're going to be treated like a second class citizen. And then mm-hmm. number two, ageism, right? Like I always hear it from young people. And honestly, you know, I'm saying the hardest group of people for me to work with these days are like people my age, right? Oh, man. The worst yeah. nonprofit I ever work with young people. Yeah. Like it's just like and, I, and I'm not just saying this to like hate on them, but it's just like, again, like anti-ignorant sentiment. Uh, and ageism, like, oh, I'm just going to push back against them because they're old. And because they're old, they probably don't have good ideas. Right. Like, and then, like, I'm like, well, that's why we're not getting work done. The community of the Prophet was all encompassing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, let's take a break with a word from our sponsor and then finish off the podcast, inshallah. Right. Here's a message from our sponsor, The Mantle. Hey listeners, wondering what The Mantle is? The Mantle is an organization based in Fairfield County, Connecticut. We are dedicated to creating sacred spaces that facilitate the understanding of Islamic spirituality. The Mantle aims to revive the prophetic tradition of understanding, compassion, and spiritual cultivation. We encourage authenticity in exchange for authenticity. Come as you are to learn Islam as it is. Find out more about The Mantle by following us online on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Mantle of Love. We hope you enjoy the rest of this episode of Faith in Fine Print. Hey everyone, assalamu alaikum. We are back with The Mantle's podcast, Faith in Fine Print. I am your host today, Nihal Khan, here with... Alman Nusrat. Forgot your name there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. and I'm, uh, I'm upset right now. Why is that? Where's the R&B music? The R&B music has already oh, happened. Oh, here. Okay, Mom Sahib wants his R&B. All right. Yeah. So we're here. We're back. We're back. <laughs> With <laughs> Mom Sahib. in America. Mm. There you go. Welcome to Faith in Fine Print. There you go. Fire we finally print. got it. Yeah. That's the intro. Okay. Please, please, please to refrain. <laughs> please to refrain. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Kalandur Tabrizi. But um, let's get back into it, everyone. Uh, we're here with Imam Suhaib Webb here at the ICNYU. Um, and we have been having a discussion with Imam Suhaib on the future, you know, on the future of Islamic scholarship, the, you know, u- utilizing the digital, the digital age, social media, a little bit Imam, about Imam Suhaib. Uh, let's get back into it. Um, Imam Suhaib. There's a lot going on in the United States with the Muslim community. You see new institutions. You see scholarship moving in a direction. In your humble estimation, uh, what should the community, number one, be working towards as a communal goal? Um, And obviously, that's a big question because that means that communities at a very grassroots level need to be working. And number two, where do you see things going for the community uh, from your experience and breadth of knowledge? So it's very difficult to say the community, right? The definite article. Yeah. As sort of a community. Yeah. But I think at a at a national level, when I was, you know, in Boston and things were really kind of at that national microphone, it's very important that we do an assessment of the needs of our community and then we're able to prioritize what they really want to do. Yeah. I don't I don't, I don't see that. It's kind of like the chickens with a head cut off right now. Everybody, everybody, mm-hmm. li kulli ummatin, 
every every community within the community has its own issues. Yeah. So, and oftentimes that can be framed as division, where no, like everyone has their passion, right? Sidi Ahmed Zarouk, uh, he says, "Ikhtilaf al masarik raha tulisarik." Right. Different ways of work are a means of rest for the seeker. Uh, Yaqub says, "Udkhulu abwab mutafarriqa." To his right. sons, right? Go in different doors. So I think it's important that there is some kind of proper listiqra of the community. There is an assessment of what is important. Right. And then that becomes like policy for, say, the next 10, 15 years. And these are the things that we focus on. And here's who does this. Like, I think Face is a good example. Ali Asadam, right? The work she's doing is coming out of a very serious problem that all of us recognize needs to be addressed. Right. The Pillars Foundation in Chicago, Right. Thinking about how you fund Islamic scholarship funds, so these are yeah. all focusing on uh, the stuff that Dr. Saad Abu Khabir is doing within the Black Muslim community. The name escapes me, right? Those are all things that are very important that we all need to generally understand. Yeah. And then I can say to you, listen, man, I don't want to take anything away from the importance of what you do, but that's not what I do well. Right. Like what I do well is education. I'm good in about in in creating, you know. For example, my passion is how do we create a professional school that trains religious studies teachers in yeah. America? We don't have it. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be an assessment of what I did on Snapchat was largely an assessment of the needs of young people. That's what I do even on Instagram is try to get the questions from that demographic. Uh, so I think once that's done locally, then you can begin to say this is where the community needs to head. Yeah, I think there's three things we need to think about. Number one is we need to emancipate ourselves from contemporary language. We don't follow into the left or the right. Yeah, um, we don't become like mimicking, you know, Joel Osteen or whoever. Like we need to revisit religious language as a means of intellectual emancipation. Coming back to the idea of political theology, Muslims exactly. are not necessarily, you know, they're not we're not necessarily conservative or liberal. We're moralists. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're prophetic. Yeah, very different. Um, the second thing I think we need to think about um, is after understanding that analysis, then creating the financial capital to pull these things off. And the third, and this is going to sound a little bit different, is we need to think about Muslim love as a restorative healing coming out of like post-colonial experiences yeah. as well as like Islamophobia, like just fostering like love amongst ourselves. Yeah, actually, a part of my uh, master's thesis focused on what trauma in the Muslim community people mm. need to face because we spoke a lot about um, how the law of Islam, like the fiqh aspect of it, looks at um, trauma and or, or mental capacity, right? And then how the spiritual tradition looks at it. But there's also an aspect of um, community that needs to be brought in, like the trauma of Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Alman has mentioned this, that there's a whole generation of Muslim youth post 9-11 who quite literally have never experienced a world in which Islam was seen in a positive manner. Like, and, for, and even if you take it back, post Cold, Cold War era, right? Mm -hmm. Iran 1979, like it's just been back to back to back to back of the Muslim community being seen in a, in a bad light. And that yeah. does have a social traumatic effect on people. But I think that point is great, like spaces of community healing, of coming together and just, you know, having it out and talking. Like I, I saw it today in the halaqa, where you were like, are there any dua requests, right? And I think it's very powerful for somebody, a young person at New York University in 2020 to raise their hand and say, hey, Imam Suhaib, Sheikh Suhaib, um, you know, that one brother, he was like, my friend passed away. Can Hamza, we make dua yeah. for him? Hamza, you know? at Hunter, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
right? Or uh, I'm looking for a job versus somebody writes like a piece of paper, gives it anonymously. Like um, I'm, I've been reading this book recently by Brene Brown. It's called Daring Greatly. It's about yeah, vulnerability. She's dope, yeah. Yeah, and like one thing she mentions is that so much of the community is engulfed in shame, right? Yeah. And there's when there's so much shame, there isn't vulnerability. So when you when you take shame and give it a name, you're able to do what? Destroy it. Sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. And people then say that, oh, no, as Muslims, we, we believe in shame. It's like, Habibi, bro, um, haya is what we believe in. And haya is modesty. It's not necessarily shame the way it's, yeah. you know, yeah. epitomized in the community. Mm. Right. And when you teach shame, which has its own definition in English, and you translate that out of haya because somebody that translated didn't have a proper understanding and framework of that word, words matter. Linguists matter. Right. In the Quran, there's a reason Allah will use mahabba um, in one place and hub in another place there's a reason that he'll use fuad in one place and qalb in another place because words matter in the in the arabic language so if we have such an emphasis on words in in arabic and in the islamic tradition why is it that we're not talking about that within the cultural context that we're existing in again right. saying how language is emancipating so istihya is shame yeah haya is different haya yeah. is almost like being regal Right, there's like a regalness, there's a, yeah. a, a swag to ta'a, to yeah. obedience. Istihya idha lam tastahi, fasna'ama shit, the hadith, right? Yeah. And that, that's why, you know, I think religious language is, a, is an ocean uh, that can really help, uh, you know, and we need, that's why we need scholars to be involved. When scholars are caught up online attacking each other and arguing, there's, there's times for legitimate criticism, yeah. right? That, that there, there's definitely a place for that. Um, but when it gets petty, uh, or attacking each other behind the scenes yeah. and slandering each other. And literally yeah. writing articles to do it, yeah. like ridiculousness. Well, scholars, right? Yeah. Then then it becomes, you know, the community is going to be, be underserved because we're using our resources in, in ways that are, there's no baraka, right? Yeah, and I think also, like, I, I've made a rule for myself because there's a dime a dozen people, you know, laying claim to scholarship with nice, long, stretched-out bios. And I just look for one thing. Do you serve a community? Do you mm -hmm. have someone on the ground mm -hmm. that you're serving? If the answer is no, then I really don't care, like, two cents about what you have to say. Right? Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like if you have an opinion about everything and you have no people that you serve and you're not making a difference in people's lives and that knowledge is not transformative, mm -hmm. that's the difference between what's ma'loom and what's ilm. Right? Ilm is knowledge yeah. which transforms. Allahumma inni as'aluka we ask for beneficial knowledge, right? Not ma'loom. Today, that's what people are discussing. They're discussing ma'loom. They're discussing just information, which has no bearing. It's just weight. And when you have things that don't benefit you necessarily, it just becomes weight on you, which piles you on and weighs you down. Right. I think it's a very real thing. Like, you know, when, when I talk to young people, especially the people who come to, like, the mantle, you know, we talk about what is it that turns people away from the faith or uh, turns them away from engaging with this faith or learning about it. And it's just like, it's that... Obviously, you know, Islam is this, it's this ocean, right? There's a lot of knowledge. There's, there's so much that we can, um, that we can learn about. Uh, but it's simple and it's at its core, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, when people try to engage with it, the first thing that they deal with is like, okay, what do I do in this situation? Like, you know, what's the, uh, what's the permissibility of this act or whatever it is? And then they're hit with like seven different opinions from different people. And then when they go and they see scholars kind of going at each other, and then having these debates and stuff, and they're just sitting there, and what matters to them is like, like this the things that a lot of young people are dealing with now. Like, I, um, I feel vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I don't have a place where I, I where I belong. Um, I don't see compassion. I don't see brotherhood or sisterhood. Um, and then when they do find that, um, instances like here, 
um, at NYU, like, you know, when they have these places where they can come and be themselves and learn and, and have a sense of community and, and compassion, then that has a transformative impact. Um, and that's just, that's just my, like, you know, very brief encounter my brief interaction with the community with young people and how they're seeing it I mean, they're yeah. literally just turning away because they're like you guys just can't seem to get your stuff together and you're always arguing about things and no one's actually helping the people who need help of course there are and there's amazing people out there doing amazing work um but it's just i'm talking about what they experience more often than not and that, um, that touches on two unrealistic expectations that right. are out there and that is you find you tend to find many um in the religious community mm -hmm. have an unrealistic expectation of the flocks they serve, mm -hmm. communities that they serve. I remember once I was at uh, ISNA uh, 12 years ago and there was uh, speakers on the main stage and, and this individual was berating aunties about the polar ice caps melting. And I'm like, well, I mean, they, they're raising their kids, man. Right. Like that's not within their ability. Like he's blaming the aunties for the polar ice caps. Yeah, melting. yeah. And the aunties okay. were like, I had an auntie come to me and I love, I use auntie as a term of endearment. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I just, I don't know how to like help that. Like right. I, I cook cookies and take them to the mosque every Friday. Right. Like that's a, and I was like, that's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. On the other end, people think, well, we're like this because of scholars. Mm -hmm. It's also unrealistic. Most scholars are underpaid. Show me any major imam in America, maybe except Omar Suleiman, that mm -hmm. has a staff. Mm -hmm. So like I do a podcast. I run a school online. I, I travel, you know, I have Three people on staff, none of them are paid. Wow. So, oh. you know, th there has to be a give and take here. We don't take ministry seriously in America. Black Muslim community does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But largely the idea of ministry and scaling to meet our needs together, we tend to blame each other, just like the ageism issue, right? Instead of like, okay, build power. Like if you really want this, then, then furnish and build power. You know, and then people tend to disappear when you bring up that discussion. Yeah. We had a lot to talk about. Imam Suhaib, I know you've got to head out as well. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at com. You can find me on Instagram. You can enroll in my school for free. Check it out. And you can enroll for ten, $10 a month, man. It's very affordable. It's one of our core values. Uh, at swahibub.com. What's the what's the main subject matter that you guys go over? Is uh, it we cover three major courses over a five-year period. People can opt in to doing exams and assignments or just like uh, next, like you know, Swiss binge it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Swiss also we have a set of uh, secondary courses like du'as, zikr, Arabic, um, tafsir and life. And then also we have some short films that will come out soon within That's the next awesome. year. And then we're going to have a film competition for young Muslims, $25,000 prize, man. It's amazing. Nice. And so is competitive. that going to be based in any specific location? Or? Uh, that'll be housed all on, on Apple oh. or uh, uh, Android by oh, next okay. year. Okay, so it's online. So the whole competition, everything's yeah. online? Yeah, well, that, that'll come out a year or so from now. So okay. let's not get in front of ourselves. Right, right. But we're okay. still in beta. So Right. But now they can sign up at SwayBub.com. Awesome. Gotcha. If you're in New York, if you're in New Jersey, if you're in Connecticut, if you're in the tri-state, please come check out Imam Suhaib every Tuesday at the ICNYU, 6.30 p.m. He's doing a class on Usul al-Fiqh. Uh, Imam Suhaib, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. thank you for giving us your time. And uh, please also subscribe to Faith and Fine Print. Subscribe to Imam Suhaib's podcast, Swisscast, is it? Indeed. Swisscast, so please subscribe to that. And uh, stay tuned. we got a lot more awesome episodes coming up. Thank you so much, Imam Sahib. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you, and thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Faith in Fine Print with Alman Nusrat and Nihal Khan.